Thank you, praise team, for helping us to remember to whom we're to look at um, times like this. Please turn in your Bibles to the Old Testament book of Hosea. You need some extra time to get there for those who didn't mark it last week. Last Sunday morning, if you missed our introduction to the first 12 minor prophets that close out the Old Testament, they're minor because of their size in comparison to the five major prophets. Isaiah, Jeremiah, Lamentations, Ezekiel, and Daniel. Trust me, it has nothing to do with the, the size of the prophet or their significance or even the length of their ministry. Some may recall that, just for an example, that Hosea's ministry was 40 plus years long to the northern kingdom of Israel. But speaking from personal experience and observation, I would say these pages at the end of the Old Testament are some of the most unread and unmarked in the entire Bible. Out of sight and out of mind. But for the next several weeks, we're going to dig into this gospel according to Hosea Responding to the Lord's Unrequited Love. That's what we've titled this series of messages based on this prophetic revelation of God given through the prophet Hosea. The gospel according to Hosea, responding to the Lord's unrequited love. Unrequited means unanswered, unreciprocated, unreturned, one-sided, spurned love. So last week we identified three attitudes or perspectives or approaches that will be vital in this study of the book of Hosea. Vital in the sense that our approach or our first impressions often determine what we actually discover or find. We considered these three statements last week. Number one, be prepared to listen to the bad news first. You'll remember the saying, I have good news and bad news. Which would you like to hear first? Well, when it comes to Hosea's prophecy, you don't get that option. We are going to hear the bad news first again and again and again throughout these 14 chapters that make up. Hosea's book. Secondly, be prepared to learn from the mistakes of others, and specifically the northern kingdom of Israel, those ten tribes to the north. They made some disastrous mistakes, and we can learn from them. And it, this prophecy is not just to them, but it has an outreaching effect as well. But primarily, it's to those northern ten tribes. And then thirdly, be prepared to love God above all others. Jesus, when asked by the religious elites of his day, some seven, eight hundred years later, 
in Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, they asked him, which is the first and foremost of all the commands? And Jesus responded by quoting Deuteronomy chapter 6. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. Beloved, here's what we need to understand right at the beginning of the book of Hosea. Anything, anything that replaces, undermines, threatens, or somehow keeps you from loving God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. And in Luke's account of the life and ministry of Jesus, he would add all your strength. In other words, being seduced so that you elevate love for other people, pursuits, passions, pleasures, purposes, above your love for God. Beloved, that is spiritual adultery. Let that just settle into your mind and heart for a moment. What are you allowing to compete with your love for God? What am I allowing? It's a good question. Randy Alcorn, in a blog posted back in 2009, began with these words taken from Proverbs chapter 6. Do not lust in your heart after her beauty, or let her captivate you with her eyes. For the prostitute reduces you to a loaf of bread, and the adulteress preys upon your very life. Can a man scoop fire into his lap without his clothes being burned? Can a man walk on hot coals without his feet being scorched? So is he who sleeps with another man's wife. No one who touches her will go unpunished. Proverbs chapter 6 verses 25 to 29. And then he writes the following. Notice that both men and women are held accountable for adultery. It is never an excuse that someone tried to seduce you. But you should always be on your guard against seduction. Including the media seduction that lures us toward impurity. I vividly remember meeting a man who had been a leader in a Christian organization until he committed immorality. I asked him, what could have been done to prevent this? He paused only for a moment, then said with haunting pain and precision, if only I had really known really thought through and weighed what it would cost me, my family, and my Lord. I honestly believe 
that I would never have done it. How sad is that? How heartbreaking. If only I had really known, really thought through the weight, thought through and weighed what it would cost me, my family and my Lord. What a, what a sobering confession. These verses that we'll be focusing on this morning in Hosea's first chapter will enable us to think through and weigh out three costs of spiritual adultery. Peace with God. God's blessing on your life. And thirdly, present privileges and opportunities. Let me read the passage. Lead us in a prayer. And then we'll begin to dig into these verses. Hopefully, learning from the mistakes of Israel. Please stand with me for the reading from God's word. Hosea chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. The word of the Lord which came to Hosea, the son of Beri, during the days of Uzziah, Jotham, Ahaz, and Hezekiah, kings of Judah, and during the days of Jeroboam, the son of Joash, king of Israel. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry, and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Then she conceived again and gave birth to a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would ever forgive them. But I will have compassion on the house of Judah and deliver, deliver them from the Lord their God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. When she had weaned Lo-Ruhamah, she conceived and gave birth to a son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, and I am not your God. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, which cannot be measured or numbered, And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people, it will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. And the sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together, and they will appoint for themselves one leader, and they will go up from the land, 
for great will be the day of Jezreel. Chapter 2, verse 1. Say to your brothers, Ami, and to your sisters, Ruhama. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. Let's pray together. Father, you are a God of love. Lamentations 3 declares the faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. Great is his faithfulness. His mercies begin afresh each morning. Wow. How could it be stated any clearer? Father, forgive us for our failures to respond appropriately to your loyal and enduring love. For taking it for granted. For taking advantage of it. For dismissing it. Spurning it. For turning away and giving our love and attention to other people. Pursuits, positions, passions. Other things that are in this world and are all just passing away. Forgive us, we pray. Would you use this book of Hosea to expose the spiritual adulteries in our lives, both individually and collectively? May we learn from the mistakes of these ancient others. Bring us to that place of genuine repentance. And then enable us to put off the old and put on the new. Embracing lifestyle changes, different priorities, that it would invite the Holy Spirit to continue his transformative work in my life and in the lives of each one of us. We want to be more like Jesus. Father, thank you for your patience with us, your desire to see us flourish both now and forever in the truest sense of that word. Perhaps not by the standards and comforts of this world, but certainly in our relationship with you. May you be glorified in and through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. In spite of his loyal love being requited, unrequited, the Lord confronts spiritual adultery. Beloved, look at how God took extraordinary initiatives to confront Israel's spiritual adultery here in Hosea chapter 1. Look at verse 2 again. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, Go, take to yourself a wife of harlotry and have children of harlotry. For the land commits flagrant harlotry, forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Notice the middle of verse 2 there. The Lord said, go, take to yourself. You may want to circle those two words. Go, or highlight or underline them. Go, take. They are tandem imperatives. Both verbs, back to back, 
but both dual imperatives. God is issuing a direct order to Hosea. And notice how Hosea responds at the beginning of verse 3. So he went and took. No questions asked. Complete 100% obedience. So here we have a, an ordinary, and the reason I say ordinary is because look at the way he's introduced in the book. Like we know nothing of this Hosea. He's never mentioned again. And his father gives us no other hints as well. This is the only time they're mentioned. So he's just a kind of a, a plain Jane prophet from somewhere with no pedigree standing behind him. Just an ordinary Faithful prophet. Remember, a faithful prophet, a prophet is a spokesperson for God. He's, he's God's mouthpiece to the people of God. And he's being asked to marry a prostitute. That, as you can well imagine, has caused all kinds of problems for interpreters who are trying to protect God's reputation or character. How could he ask Hosea, clearly a committed man of God, to go out and marry someone living in such violation to the law? Granted, this is an unprecedented request. But... Israel, that northern kingdom, had clearly stopped listening to the law of God. They were all caught up in the prosperity and comforts of the day. Who needed God? God somehow had to get their attention, to wake them up. And it was not uncommon for God to use a prophet, to do just that. Keep your finger in Hosea and turn back with me to one of those major prophets, Isaiah chapter 20. Remember, Isaiah is a prophet, spokesperson for God, delivering God's message to a people. And this time it's to Egypt and Cush or Ethiopia. Beginning at verse 1. In the year that the commander came to Ashdod, when Sargon the king of Assyria sent him, and he fought against Ashdod and captured it. At that time the Lord spoke through Isaiah the son of Amos, saying, Go and loosen the sackcloth from your hips and take your shoes off your feet. And he did so. Sound like Hosea? Complete obedience. Get undressed and go barefoot. And the Lord said, Even as my servant Isaiah has gone naked and barefoot for three years, 
as a sign and token against Egypt and Cush. Unbelievable. He becomes a living illustration, running around with no clothes and no shoes for just three years. Wow. What does this suggest? Perhaps desperate times require desperate measures. But perhaps you're sitting there this morning thinking, oh, come on, George. These are Old Testament times. They're on the other side of the cross. Oh, really? Turn with me to, let's try Acts chapter 6. Or Acts chapter 5. Beginning at verse 1. Well, let's start at verse 36 of Acts chapter 4, because it kind of sets the context. Now, Joseph, a Levite of Cyprian birth, who was also called Barnabas by the apostles, which translated means son of encouragement, and who had owned a tract of land, sold it and brought the money and laid it at the feet of the apostles. This is Mr. Encouragement that had just done this. But a man named Ananias and his, with his wife Sapphira sold the piece of property. Sound familiar? And kept back some of the price for himself with his wife's full knowledge and bringing a portion of it, he laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back some of the price of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not under your control? Why is it that you have conceived this deed in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. And as he heard these words, Ananias fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came over all who heard of it. Folks, this is on our side of the cross. And God took extraordinary initiatives to send a message to confront Ananias and Sapphira's spiritual adultery. And it worked. It had the desired effect. He now had their attention. Notice the end of verse 5 again. And great fear came over all who heard it. Look at verse 11. After the same thing happened to his wife. And great fear came over the whole church and over all who heard of these things. Both Ananias and Sapphira loved prosperity and the approval of men more than they loved God. 
and it cost them their very lives. Now, I'm not suggesting that all of God's initiatives to confront spiritual adultery will happen in the public marketplace and will involve some extraordinary events. Although they may. Jerry Falwell, Jr., Bill Hybels, Mark Driscoll, James McDonald, Carl Letts, to name just a few. The list seems to go on and on. But frankly, more likely, it will be God's confrontation will take place in the privacy of your own relationship toward God. Our consciences, tag-teaming with the Holy Spirit, brings conviction leading to repentance. A repentance that includes acknowledgement of sin, a request for God's forgiveness, a putting off of previous behaviors and patterns, replacing them with new behaviors, and the development of new habits. No question. It's hard work, and it involves great discipline. But it leads to godliness and a more intimate relationship with God. Or, we harden our hearts, and our consciences become muted. We silence them. Severed, actually. It is, a, is it, a, it is at that point where God may take initiatives to get our attention. Sometimes he uses other people who love and care for us enough to come and confront us with the truth. Look at Galatians chapter 6 verse 1. Brethren, even if anyone is caught in any trespasses, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. goes on to say that uh, we should do it looking to ourselves so that you too will not be tempted. Or even church discipline in Matthew chapter 18. It's another way that God can use to confront our spiritual adultery. At other times, it may be difficult circumstances. Remember 1 Corinthians chapter 11, when we meet at the table of the Lord, he, Paul, talking to the Corinthians, says, some of you are sick. Some have even died as a result. And I'm not suggesting that every challenging circumstances or death is a result of God's confrontation of spiritual adultery in our lives. That's not what I'm saying. But it may be. How about this COVID-19 pandemic? Some would say and have said that it is the judgment of God on a nation that continues to suppress the truth of God in unrighteousness. And perhaps it is. But regardless, 
one thing is certain. It should have our attention. So that we begin to reflect on the realities of life and death in our relationships toward God. My looking to God and loving and trusting him wholeheartedly or is God using COVID-19 to confront some spiritual adultery in our lives? Spiritual adultery. In whatever form it takes, sooner or later, will be and must be confronted. If only I had really known, really thought through and weighed what it would cost me and my family and my Lord. The cost of spiritual adultery is peace with God. Confrontation is a long way from peace with God. And that's what you'll be sacrificing. The good news is that in spite of his love being unrequited, the Lord confronts our spiritual adultery. Imagine that. In spite of his loyal love being unrequited, the Lord disciplines Spiritual adultery. And notice I said disciplines, not punishes. Although, in the midst of it, it would probably feel very similar. But God is always disciplining us to bring us back to himself. It's not just punishment. He wants to be reconciled. Us to be reconciled, restored to a relationship with him. So let's learn from Israel's mistakes. Look at verses 3, the second part, down to the end of verse 5. So he went and took Gomer, the daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for yet a little while, and I will punish the house of Jehu for the bloodshed of Jezreel. And I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day, I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. You may want to circle that word name. In verse 4, in verse 6, and in verse 9. They are all imperatives. To obey or not to obey? That was the question that Hosea was once again facing regarding the naming of his own children. These names were significant. Each one given for the purpose of sending a message to God's people, to the Israelites living in that northern kingdom. Gomer's first child was to be named Jezreel by the command of God. Why? 
not because of the meaning in the name itself, but because of its association with a, a geographic location, a place called Jezreel. And God was about to punish the house of Jehu. In other words, the, the descendants of King Jehu, the tenth king of the northern kingdom. You may be aware that all these kings of the northern kingdom did evil in the sight of the Lord. But Jehu had somehow become culpable in the shedding of blood at Jezreel. And as a result, his descendants were about to fall under the judgment of God. And at the same, in the same place where Jehu committed his sin, and at the same time, the Israelite army of the northern kingdom would be destroyed. Did you notice those three word groups in verses 4 and 5? I will punish... I will put an end to, I will break the bow. That's the Lord speaking. Verse 5, on that day, I, the Lord, will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. Are you hearing the message here? Certainly, judgment delayed is not judgment denied. Jehu's descendants were about to pay the ultimate price. They would be eliminated entirely. And at the same time, the northern kingdom's military would suffer a devastating defeat. What is a kingdom without a military? Assyria would now become their masters. So what can we learn from Israel's mistake here? Spiritual adultery invites God to judge us according to the sins of the past. Spiritual adultery invites God to judge us according to the sins of the past. Gomer's second child was to be named Lo-Ruhamah. Why? What a name. That one didn't even come up for consideration. But we didn't have girls. We had three boys. But Lo-Ruhamah. Look at verses 6 and 7. Then she conceived again, gave birth to a daughter, and the Lord said to him, Name her Lo-Ruhamah, for I will no longer have compassion on the house of Israel, that I would ever forgive them. Verse 7, But, in contrast, I will have compassion on the house of Judah, and deliver them by the Lord their God, and will not deliver them by bow, sword, battle, horses, or horsemen. So in contrast, God was going to 
give Judah those southern two tribes a reprieve that really only lasted 130, 150 years before the Babylonians came in because they found themselves walking the same path as the northern kingdom. They learned nothing from the northern kingdom's experience. But can you imagine waking up to this kind of message from God? Lo Ruhama. You got up this morning and there it was. You have moved beyond the reach of my mercy and forgiveness. Lo Ruhama. For you, Lamentations chapter 3, verses 22 and 23, no longer applies. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. And God says, I can't reach you. For the Jews in the northern kingdom, they had engaged in spiritual adultery to the point where they had forfeited, defaulted, on God's loyal love. What can we learn from Israel's mistake here? Spiritual adultery invites God to judge us apart from his mercy. We don't want it. We don't need it. I love hearing our church family sing that Getty song, His Mercy is More. Praise the Lord, his mercy is more. Stronger than darkness, new every morn. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. And all God's people said, Amen. Our sins, they are many. His mercy is more. Beloved, we'll want to hang on to that. We do not want to forfeit God's mercy. Gomer has a third child, her second son. He was to be named Lo-Ami. The message in this name, not my people. Look at verse 9. And the Lord said, name him Lo-Ami, for you are not my people, And I am not your God. Ouch. What can we learn from Israel's mistake here? Spiritual adultery invites us or invites God to judge us as unbelievers, not his people. We'd do well to learn these lessons sooner rather than later. Spiritual adultery invites God to judge us according to the sins of the past, without mercy and as unbelievers. If only I had really known, really thought through and weighed out what it would cost me, my family, and my Lord, if only. 
Spiritual adultery costs you God's blessing on your life. His divine favor on your life will be forfeited. In spite of his love being requited, the Lord confronts and disciplines our spiritual adultery. And in spite of his loyal love being requited, the Lord offers the vision of a promising future. Look how quickly Hosea's prophecy turns. 180 degrees with just one little word at the beginning of verse 10. Yet. See it there? Yet. Our present spiritual adulteries do not have to define us. They may be a defining moment in your life and my life, but they don't have to be the end of the story. They will not tell the end of the story if we respond appropriately. Look at verse 10. Yet the number of the sons of Israel will be like the sand of the sea, Causing us to reflect on God's promises given to Abraham. Which cannot be measured or numbered. And in the place where it is said to them, you are not my people. It will be said to them, you are the sons of the living God. The sons of Judah and the sons of Israel will be gathered together. And they will appoint for themselves one leader. And they will go up. From the land, for great will be the day of Jezreel. Say to your brothers, Ami, you are the people of God, and to your sisters, Ruhamah. Beloved, as bad as it was in Hosea's day, God is not finished with the nation of Israel. Here at the Rock Community Church, we believe. And teach that the fulfillment of these words of Hosea are yet future. There is a day coming when the effects of God's judgment on Israel will be reversed. Their covenant relationship with the Lord will be restored. And Israel will be united under one king. If only I had really known really thought through and weighed what it would cost me and my family and my Lord. Spiritual adultery costs you and me present privileges and opportunities. In spite of his unrequited love, the Lord confronts, disciplines, or spiritual adultery, and yet still offers the vision of a promising future. The Lord's loving kindnesses indeed never cease. For his compassions, they never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. How then can you and I live without presuming 
on his great faithfulness, his loyal love, his covenant love. Number one, count the costs. Randy Alcorn, that person that I quoted at the beginning who wrote that blog back in 2002, got together with a friend and made a list. He titled the list, Personalized List of Anticipated Consequences of Immorality. Their list was 26 items long. He wrote, periodically, especially when traveling or when in a time of temptation or weakness, we read through our list. In a personal and tangible way, it brings home God's inviolate law of choice and consequence. Inviolate law of choice and consequence. It cuts through the fog of rationalization and fills our hearts with healthy, motivating fear of God. We find that when we begin to think unclearly, reviewing this list yanks us back to the reality of the law of the harvest and the need to both fear God and the consequences of sin. In a similar way, I hope, although the list is much shorter, three items from this morning's message. I hope Hosea's list helps. Consequences or costs associated with spiritual adultery. Maybe that's how we can list it. And that list may have a similar impact on your life and mine. Spiritual adultery will cost us, cost you and cost me, peace with God, God's blessing on your life, and present privileges and opportunities. Keep counting the cost. When you're tempted to to give your love to someone other than God, he must be primary. Secondly, repent of spiritual adulteries. Acknowledge them. Ask God for forgiveness. And then thirdly, Commit to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your unrequited love, a love that persists and pursues us regardless of our faithfulness. In the words of Moses, Know therefore that the Lord your God is God. He is the faithful God, keeping his covenant of love to a thousand generations of those who love him and keep his commandments. May Hosea's prophecy convict us of those things in our lives that are competing for our hearts. Enable us in these days and weeks ahead to grow in loving you with all of our heart, mind, soul, and strength, loving you as you deserve to be loved. By the power of your spirit, for your glory and our good, we ask in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.